Aaron Blake is a pastor and worked for years as a guidance counselor at a local high school. He says nothing in his background prepared him for a conversation he would have with a young man named Melvin. I didn't understand what helping a 15-year-old in foster care was about. I had counseled folks uh, with marriage, death and dying, jail, all kinds of situations, but never a foster kid that was in the system that had went in nine different placements mm. since he was in high school. Wow. And now he was sitting in front of me. And I said this to him. I said, Melvin, if I could, I'd take you home with me. This is a special on-location edition of Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear a powerful story from Bishop Aaron Blake today as we learn about how God enlarged his family. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. And once again, we've got maybe the world's greatest studio audience joining us here at the Christian Alliance for Orphan Summit. (laughs) And we're going to talk about something uh, that your heart for this subject has been expanded in a personal way over the last several years. It has. Um, Barbara and I have six children, one of whom is adopted. We don't know which one. Um, but our children have picked up the virus, the adoption virus, and uh, uh, we now have 21 grandchildren through uh, biological means, but also adoption. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple here, my uh, engrafted son, Michael Eskew, and his wife, who is our daughter, Ashley, uh, are here with us, over here, all the way to the right. You guys stand up real quickly and wave. They have... Uh, they sent me a card the other day that uh, introduces my latest grandson, and it, it has a picture of their five boys welcoming their new little brother. And Ashley and Michael have cared for 21 foster care children uh, over the years and have uh, emptied their county of any waiting children in the foster care system. Little, uh, little William David, we call him Will, joined us, and uh, he's a picture, I think, of what's waiting across the country for the church to step forward. And we have a hero with us that I think fulfills uh, one of the words that Christ gave in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are about to meet a hero who has uh, let his light shine along with his wife, Mary, of 38 years. Bishop Aaron Blake is going to join us on the stage. Come on up, Bishop. Bishop Blake, join us. Welcome to the broadcast in our small studio here, okay? (laughs) Uh, he has been a pastor for more than 35 years. He and his wife married, been married for 38. For a number of years, Bishop, you served as a 
bivocational pastor and you were a, a high school guidance counselor. And that's really where the surgery for your heart began around the subject of foster care. Share how that happened. Well, the, the school that I was uh, presently serving had a situation where a number of kids came into the school that were in foster care. Many times, kids that moved from placement to placement uh, had a situation where they lost credits every placement. So being there uh, as a guidance counselor slash social worker, I wanted to find out how we can recover the credits of those kids so that that wouldn't be another setback for them. So I, I wanted them to send those kids to me and my journey started when one kid came to me with that problem. That was Melvin who came to you, right? Well, it, when, when he came into the office now, he came in the office with a little chip on his shoulder and a little attitude. Yeah. So he came in and sat down in the desk in front of me and he said, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you do, but you can't make me go to class. And I said, well, I'm not the principal. I'm not the one that makes you do anything. But when you decide that you want to go to Brownwood High School, let me know. And he sat in front of me. Well, he sat through first period, second period, third period. And then the bell rang for lunch. He said, are you going to let me go eat? And I said, man, you don't have any lunch because you're not enrolled. <laughs> so I thought food would convince him that maybe he needs to get in class. And uh, he said, well, uh, we'll just sit here then. And then after the last bell rang, I got hungry. <laughs> so we went to lunch and that started the dialogue of who Melvin was. But on the way to lunch, I noticed he had some biceps and triceps. So on the way to lunch, I took him through the football gymnasium and dressing room. It's something about a sock-smelling dressing room that goes into the head and nostril of a kid. And he said, do you think I can play football for Brownwood High School? And I said, no way. He said, why? You won't go to class. <laughs> we go get a burger, we come back. We come back through the hall where, where all of the trophies and the pictures on the wall, and that was my high school alma mater, by the way, and two of those championships uh, I was on, and that was my picture. I said, you see that guy there? And he said, don't tell me that was you. And I said, yes. I said, we won state championship. Pulled him by the coach's office. Coach began to talk to him and say, hey, this is the guy that is going to come and play football? I said, no way. He said, why? I said, because he won't. And then Melvin hunched me in the side. <laughs> so what we, uh, we walked off, and Melvin said, hey, I'll make a deal with you. If you get me on the team, I'll go to class. Mm. So I got him on the team. He went to class. But my, my main assignment that day was to recover Melvin's lost credits, how he was in one school, and before he could take his final, he moved because of something happening, losing credits. Many kids across the country in foster care, mm. these things happen. That's why the dropout rate and... The inability to finish high school is high amongst foster children. Had he been in foster care his whole life? 
He went into foster care when he was 19, and he sat in front of me when he was 15. Went in when he was nine? Nine, nine. nine. You know, you not only cared about his lost credits, you also cared about his lost soul. And so you went home that day to have a conversation with your wife, Mary, who by that point, you guys were in the empty nest, right? Yes. And you hadn't been talking to her about foster care kids, and you kind of went home and announced something to her. Well, yeah, you know, we had six biological children. Right. And the baby of, of that six was sitting there on the front row. Her name is Anna. So we had 18 months now, 18 months of an empty nest. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. It's, gl- it's glorious. glorious. Give me five. Yes. yes. <laughs> so Mary and I had the freedom. Well, I won't go into that. Yeah. But Mary and I... <laughs> We had an empty nest, and, uh, but what had happened was Melvin had gotten into class, gotten on the football team, and had some success that year. And then at the end of the year, something happened with his placement. And so CPS called and said, we're coming to get Melvin. So the school transferred the call to me, and they said, would you prep Melvin because we're going to have to move him. We know he's having success but something happened. Before I could get to Melvin, the CPS worker had already gotten to the school and told Melvin that he was gonna move. Melvin bolted out the door, ran to the side of the building, across the football field, and, and was gone. The CPS worker came and said, he probably is going to contact you because of relationship. That evening, I stayed at the, at the school late Melvin came in to my emergency entry door. Now, I have a, there's emergency exits everywhere, all, all around here. But for some students that needed to see me and not go through bureaucracy, they would come into my emergency entry door. Melvin came in that door. Usually he came in every period because he'd leave his books there, yeah. and I became a locker room for him. <laughs> but he came in and sat in the same chair in front of my desk that he said in the first day that he came to see me. And he sat in that desk after running, perspiration drenched his body, his clothes running down his face. I couldn't tell the tears uh, running down his face from the perspiration. We sat what seemed like 15 minutes, but probably only 15 seconds. And finally he squeaked out these words is the reason why I'm here today. He said, Brother Blake, will you help me? Well, I didn't understand what helping a 15-year-old in foster care was about. I had counseled folks with marriage, death and dying, jail, all kinds of situations, but never a foster kid that was in the system that had went in nine different placements mm. since he was in high school. Wow. And now he was sitting in front of me. And I said this to him. I said, Melvin, if I could, I'd take you home with me. He said, really? I said, yes. He said, you would take me home with you. I said, in a heartbeat. I said, but CPS is coming and you have to go with them. He said, okay. I said, Melvin, I'm gonna call them and they're gonna come and you have to go with them, right? He said, okay. I said, they're they're gonna, he said, I got it. I walked him to the curb, he get in the car, they drive away, and I said, 
man, I'm good. But I wasn't good. I learned six months later that Melvin heard something that I didn't think I said, but I understood. Melvin told the caseworker that Brother Blake said that I can come live with him. <laughs> so they called me and they said, Melvin said that you said he can come live with you. I said, wow. While I had the phone to my ear, I couldn't say no. There was something happening in my spirit, in my heart, that I couldn't say no. At the same time, my, Mary was in my mind, and I couldn't say yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the way home now, I rehearsed over and over <laughs> what I was going to say to Mary. I mean, I went through all kinds of stuff, and Mary doesn't talk a lot, usually. Usually when I get home, I regurgitate my day, and I tell all, everything. At supper that night, she was just going off about everything. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't hear nothing she said. I was trying to figure out what I was going to say. Then finally I said, guess what happened to me today? <laughs> and then I told about Melvin. I didn't know that Melvin had been in her Sunday school class. She said, you mean little Melvin doesn't have a home? I said, no. She said, little Melvin that goes to school? And I said, yes. She said, I hope you told him yes. Oh. I literally almost fell out of my chair. Yeah. I couldn't wait till the next morning to call CPS to tell them, hey, yes, Melvin can come. I called at eight o'clock straight up and got voicemail. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> finally, when I got through, I said, tell Melvin, yes, he can come and live with us. We're ready. And then they said, are you a licensed foster parent? Yeah, our said, audience knows a little bit about that. Yes. Well, I, I didn't know anything about it. I said, what do you buy those at? <laughs> <laughs> well, we quickly found an agency, went through the process, and Melvin came to live with us. So that's how that story. That was the first of, yeah. <laughs> Melvin was the first of six foster sons, all of them foster sons, is that right? Yes, all of them foster. And let me tell you this story quickly, if I can. Melvin played football, good running back. The outside tight end was a foster kid, blew his placement. At practice, Melvin went to him and said, don't worry about it. <laughs> I know where you can go. <laughs> that was number two? That was number two. Oh, man. But then the outside linebacker <laughs> blew his placement. Now, you, yep. you know how many, how many kids are on a football team. Well, I do. <laughs> so Melvin and Joseph uh, goes and, and, and says to Buck, isn't that, we call him Buck, don't worry about it, guy. We can't lose you. We got to win the playoffs. So he came to live with us. Wow. CPS called and says he has a brother. Oh. We love to keep siblings together. Uh -huh. And he came to us. Six boys later, our house was filled up. Man, oh man. Wow. Yes. So did they win the state championship? <laughs> they won district. And went into the playoffs. Yeah. You were a bivocational pastor at that time. 
as yes. your church watched you do this, what was the impact on your congregation? Well, CPS came, uh, would call me, and they, and they would say things like, hey, uh, uh, Pastor Blake, you know you could be a group home and have 12. <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, and all 12 of us would be on the street because Mary would put us out. <laughs> but I, I, went to, I went to my church, and um, I stood up one Sunday. Heart was heavy because at that particular time there were 30,000 kids in the system uh, in Texas. And uh, I would get the calls, and I also noticed there were overrepresentation of African-American children uh, in disproportionality that was also in the system. So God began to deal with me that Sunday on the ministry of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And uh, reconciliation uh, without restoration won't work. God has called us because he's reconciled us by Christ uh, to, to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. But then I would say, God, how can I really preach James uh, 127, pure and unfair religion, without understanding restoration of families yeah. and restoration of children? Right. So I stood up that Sunday in front of my congregation, and I said, guys, how many of you here would help me stand up for orphans? And I didn't mean literally stand up, but a lady in the back stood up and said, Pastor, I will. And then another one stood up and said, I will. And another one stood up and said, I will. A year later, 36 kids were in our church because of Stand Up Sunday. That's cool. That's really cool. And from there, I wanted to be personally involved because of my work with, with the school and seeing the plight of what happens to kids educationally, what plight of kids, what happens to families that are broken, I wanted to be personally involved in, in not only the adoption part and foster care part of it in our church, but in the day-to-day -day process so kids wouldn't be bouncing from home to home and, and placement to placement and out of their community. So I told the case manager and the case worker that me and my family, Mary, and our church wanted to be personally involved, training that in our church. And so the agency was licensing so many families that they moved into our church. So from then, 10 years until now, the agency offices in our church, wow. and we are personally involved because we don't want kids bouncing from place to place, yeah. and we don't want kids aging out of care without a forever family. Just, yeah. Just... Uh, just real quickly, but because there's one more of the, uh, of the six that you engrafted into your family that I want you to talk about. You're on a mission now about the entire state of Texas. Yes. Share just a, a quick, if you can, about how you're embodying the ministry of reconciliation there. Well, the purifying part of James 127 that happened to Mary and I is that we wanted to make sure that the body of Christ across racial lines, across denominational lines, understand that the only way that we're going to really understand as a body of Christ and heal our nation and our children and broken families is reconciliation and restoration. 
what's happening in Baltimore and what's happening across the country, the church has been absent with, with foster care and adoption. They've been absent with racial reconciliation, family reconciliation. Yes. And so it's time for the church to stand up and say, we're the voice. We have the ministry of reconciliation and we're restoring families. Yeah, I agree. And you and I could fight for the soapbox at this point because I think this is a, this is a huge opportunity for the church. And the, the 2,500 folks who are here at the Orphan Summit, you are the church. You can take this back to your local church and we can make a difference in our individual communities. I want you to introduce us to a, uh, a young man who you engrafted in, one of the six foster care boys that you cared for. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about Diego. Well, uh, Diego, even when we, when, when they were, they would be upstairs at our house and they would be, be doing all that kind of stuff. Ho, 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 what was that? What's that? <laughs> that was what they were doing when they didn't have all the machines and all the stuff to make the sounds. They were rapping. Yeah. Okay. So I would say, guys, quit beating and, and spitting and going on. <laughs> and, uh, so Diego would try to come up with lines and lyrics and all that kind of stuff. And, and so he started uh, rapping back then. And uh, Diego was at one of the, our meetings that we were having across the state. And I had never told, because I didn't want our guys to be put on front street, about an incident that happened. But Mark had a candle he put in the window. They, they said something else happened. But anyway, Mark's story was he had a candle in, in the window and the wind blew in, caught the curtain, went up the wall and our house burned down. Well, we were having a meeting like this and telling folks that you need to step up and you need to become foster parents and you need to adopt. And then Diego stands up and say, we burnt the house down. <laughs> a great advertisement for foster care, huh? Yes. But Diego went on to say, he said, I knew that my mom, and he called me Pop, and my dad, Pop, really loved us unconditionally the next morning after the fire. Hmm. That night, early, four o'clock in the morning, we went and we, we went to Walmart and we bought clothes like any family would do if you have something happen. And then we got a hotel and then we found a place to live. Well, the boys the next morning didn't want to go to school. And I said, what's going on? And they said this, they said, we do not want to go to school and CPS come and pick us up at school and embarrass us. And he told the story, I knew that mom and dad loved me because we had been moved from place to place for stuff less than that. And we knew they loved us. So that's Diego. Hey, Pop, that's we got true. a little, we got a little surprise something The you. audience knows that you don't. Oh my <laughs> God. My goodness. I've dreamed about this. Love you, Pop. Thank God. Boy. <laughs> Diego, have a seat. Diego, have a seat well, right here. Have a seat. So I dreamed this. <laughs> I did. He did, did dream you really? It. I dreamed this he last night. He texted me and said, where you at? 
I texted him and said, where are you? You, you need to be here. He said, I'm, I'm somewhere. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a somewhere. <laughs> Have a seat. Oh, wow. we, uh, we, we thought this young arsonist ought to come out and... Uh, <laughs> how, tell, tell these folks that morning when Pop said to you, it's okay. Well, like he explained in the story, uh, when we did burn the house down... <laughs> We burnt the house down. <laughs> and um, honestly, man, um, we, we thought we was heading somewhere else. We thought we was going to uh, be going to another foster home wow. or somewhere else. And uh, man, when I tell you this, this man, uh, after the house burned down, instead of coming to us and, 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 and fussing at us and stuff, he took us. The only place that was open was Walmart. He just took us to Walmart, bought us some clothes, and um, to go to school the next day. So we went to school, and y'all, we... Uh, after, after school, we worked out. We didn't want to get back home because we knew that, hey, it was, we was going somewhere else. So we worked out. We stayed, we stayed away from the house as long as we possibly could. And uh, we was, we, we, of course, we got home at the time that he allowed us to come home. And uh, we, uh, we thought we was gone. And next thing you know, we was uh, going to a different, uh, uh, of course, uh, your, mom's, your mom's house, moved into his, to his mom's house. And, like, we was there. And he was like, y'all were my boys. Like, y'all are and grafted in, and there's nothing that you can do to separate, basically, my love for you. And just being, just, just being six boys that never had the type of love that him and mama showed us, that love, man, that was just so awesome. And uh, it transformed our life, man, and it really changed our destiny and, uh, and the things that we are doing in life now. Yeah. You probably don't know this, but Dennis has a favorite assignment that he likes to give to folks like you that uh, I, I think you can probably improv this on the spot. You want to give him the assignment? Yeah, you just heard him without addressing you <laughs> break down weeping about his love for you and how proud he is of you and the privilege of loving you. Mm -hmm. You got him face to face. You, you got a chance to give him a tribute. Would you like to do it? Yeah, I give him a little something-something. <laughs> I give him a little something-something. And so, uh, of course, y'all all got, y'all y'all know about um, Engrafted. Uh, and I heard, I think you said something about Engrafted. You're Engrafted, son. I was listening in the back. And uh, this man, uh, when, he, when we first came to his house, he said, hey, you're not foster children. He said, you are Engrafted into my home. He said, I'm your pop. And everything that belongs to me, and now belongs to you. And uh, we took advantage of it, too. <laughs> Because we was engrafted in. And he, he said the same, same way with the kingdom. Now you're, now you're engrafted into the kingdom of God. And everything that belongs to God now belongs to you, Diego. And so, um, of course, I'm a gospel artist. I do gospel rap. And I wrote a song called, I, I titled my album, Engrafted. And uh, it's, it just reflects the love that he showed us and the love that God is showing me now. And so, man, thank you, Pops. Man, I just love you. Well, we have uh, had the opportunity today to hear a conversation that took place at the recent Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit that was held in Nashville, Tennessee. And for those of you who would be interested in seeing Diego Fuller do a, uh, a rap song called Engrafted, 
We've got a link on our website at familylifetoday.com to the music video that he has put together. And you can go to familylifetoday.com, click the link in the upper left-hand corner of the screen that says Go Deeper, and you will see information about the brand-new engrafted music video from Diego Fuller. You can watch him perform his song. There is also information online about the Christian Alliance for Orphans. And if you'd like to find out more about their plans for next year's summit, uh, follow the link on our website at familylifetoday.com to the Christian Alliance for Orphans website, and the information will be there eventually. We also have resources available for those of you who are considering being foster parents or adoptive parents. You're beginning to explore that as a possibility, and you'd like to find out more about the journey of adoption or foster parenting. Look for the resources we have available when you go online at familylifetoday.com and click the link that says Go Deeper. And maybe you're not considering adoption or foster care, but you still have a heart for helping orphans in our world. We've got information about different ways that individuals and churches can be involved in helping address the needs of orphans all around the globe. Again, you'll find all of this when you go to familylifetoday.com and click the link in the upper left-hand corner of the screen that says Go Deeper. Now, the month of uh, August is a significant month for us here at Family Life. It's actually the end of the year for us. We begin our fiscal year September 1st, so we're about to close the books on fiscal 2015 and start a new year, fiscal 2016 in September. And the reason I mention that is because when you get near the end of the fiscal year, one of the things you're always wondering is, are we going to be able to uh, match things up at the end of the year? Will we have the money necessary to cover the budgeted expenses for this ministry? So we're asking you to consider making a year-end financial gift during the month of August to help us finish out our fiscal year in a healthy spot. And uh, that's easy enough to do. You can go online at familylifetoday.com, click the link in the upper right-hand corner of our screen that says, I care, make an online donation that way. Or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY, make your donation over the phone. Or you can mail a donation to us at Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas, and our zip code is 72223. By the way, when you make a donation right now, we'd like to say thank you by sending you a book from Dennis and Barbara Rainey called Two Hearts Praying as One. It's our thank you gift for your fiscal year-end contribution to this ministry. And if you are making your first donation in 2015, if you haven't made a donation yet this year, in addition to the book, we'd like to add a prayer card that will help you know how to pray for one another in your family, especially when you're going through very difficult times as a family. And again, all of that comes with our thanks for your support of this ministry. Now, tomorrow we're going to talk about heading back to school. Barbara Rainey is going to be joining us tomorrow, and we'll we'll tackle some of the issues that families face as they get ready to head back to school. Hope you can join us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.